So you'll know we are in the middle of a series from the letter of James, and James is all about what our faith looks like in action. And so we've called this series A Little Less Conversation, A Little More Action. And today our passage is about what our faith looks like in community, what our active faith looks like in community. I don't know what your experience of Christian community is, but I had an experience at college that has scarred me for life. Uh, we have to do these placements at college um, so as to get an experience of the breadth of church. And normally that's something that I would avoid like the play, but because Hanau was with me and we were training together, she decided we need to do something properly and that we need to have a genuine experience of something different. And so we went to the deepest, darkest depths of Birmingham and lived in a commune for a whole month. Now, when I say commune, I mean it was miserable. So we arrived and we were told that we were living on the top floor of this place and we went up to this bedroom and in the bedroom there's just a single bed. So clearly I'm sleeping on the floor and as I lay down on the floor to see what the carpet was like and it was threadbare, I turned my head and I saw just a row of mouse droppings along the skirting boards and if you know me you'll know rats and mice really get me. Like it's something, it's like my kryptonite, I can't cope with it. So I jump up and I slam the door and I turn to her now and say, now we are getting out of this commune as quickly as possible. And we start to have a heated discussion about whether we can cope with this, whereas my wife, she could cope with it, but I couldn't. At which point, the door flings open. And the second thing we realize about this Christian commune is there's clearly an open door policy. Nobody knocks, which came as a surprise at that point, but was even worse later in the week because I like to air dry. And this guy who led the commune seems to think that it's perfectly normal to fling open the door and engage in a conversation with you at any time in the day. The third thing that happens at this Christian commune is that we pray every day at 6 a.m. Sounds like a good idea, right? I think it's a lovely thing to do. These meetings were miserable. We used to go in at 6am, nobody wanted to be there, they were all forced to be there and we would literally pray through a list of names nobody knew who happened to live in the parish or a part of the church and then the worst thing about that is at the end of the 6am prayer meeting every time we would pray against the neighbour next door with whom the leader of the commune was in a legal dispute about the dustbins, literally in a legal dispute about the dustbins. Anyway that ended prayer so you started the day hating your neighbour and then there was community meal times where everybody in the community and the commune had to do a little bit of preparation and so you would be told which vegetable you had to prepare each day and what I realised as I didn't engage with community meal times was that the guy really wanted me to because he had unsafe levels of passive aggression and control and so he used to text me in the morning what my particular vegetable was and one day when I was feeling particularly Christian I thought well I'll go and peel the carrots because today I am on carrot duty and I go into the kitchen and I find a another person part of the commune who's also been told to peel the carrots at which point we realise that he's texted us both exactly the same vegetable because neither of us were committing to meal times and so it's like psychological warfare trying to set us off against each other which was fatal because it just turned us against him anyway the straw that broke the camel's back on Christian community for me was when at the end of th three weeks he comes up to me and sits me down and says listen you're going to have to pay rent for the time that you're here and the rent that he charged us was more than the rent we were paying in Bristol for a whole flat. Unbelievable. Completely put me off Christian community forever. I will never go back and I never want to do it. I don't know what your experience of Christian community is, but here's the problem. At this church, one of our core values is that we act like family to each other. That means that we believe that church should be a diverse family where we're fully known, we're unconditionally loved, and we become who we're called to be in community. 
doesn't happen in isolation. This is something that we're committing to here at church. So how are we going to do that? Because it's crucial. And here's the thing I want to draw out of James this morning. It's not just important for us so that we can show love to each other and become who we're called to be. As far as James is concerned, without community, we're never going to see revival. What do I mean by revival? Well, that's why I've included James 3.18 in our passage from chapter 4. 3.18, and I talked about it last week, ends with this. It says, Peacemakers who sow in peace reap a harvest of righteousness. Peacemakers who sow in peace reap a harvest of righteousness. What's a harvest? A harvest is lots of it. You stick in a tiny seed and it multiplies and you get a huge amount of it. So what's the context? What's he talking about there? He's talking about a harvest of righteousness. He's talking about a harvest of the presence of God. He's talking about heaven on earth. I don't care what you call it. You can call it revival. You can call it renewal. You can call it uh, church doing really well and the presence of God falling on a community and a bunch of people. I don't care what you call it. The point is when there's a harvest, of it, there's loads of it and it feels like heaven on earth. Now James is saying, if you want heaven on earth, and this is the problem, the seed that you have to sow is peaceable community. It's peace in community. You have to prioritise family. How do we know he's saying that? He's saying that because for James, righteousness isn't just right relationship between us and God. It is that. But as according to James, it's right relationship between each other. Without right relationship between each other, we are not going to see a harvest of righteousness. We are not going to see what Jesus sets out in his agenda in Luke 4, when he says, the spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me so that, that he has anointed me, so that I can preach good news to the poor, so that I can release the oppressed, so that I can see the prisoner go free, so that the eyes of the blind could be opened, so that heaven comes to earth, so that we have an experience of that Revelation 21 I was talking about earlier in broccoli, in our our own church in South East London, if we want that to happen, we have to sow the seed of family. So the key question for us is how do we do it without committing to a Christian commune and me texting you all about which vegetable you have to peel in the morning? Well, James says this, firstly, we have to admit that we have a problem. When it comes to family, when it comes to community, every single one of us here in this room has a problem. What is the problem that he's talking about? Slide one, if you don't mind, stick it up. It says this, there's fights and quarrels among you. Later on in verse 11, he says, do not slander one another. Anyone who speaks against a brother or sister judges them and speaks against the law and judges it. What is stopping us from living as family, from making ourselves fully known, from unconditionally loving each other, from becoming who we're called to be, from sowing seeds of peace in community? That. Fights, quarrels, slander, judgment. When there's fights, there's quarrels, there's slander, which basically means you're speaking badly of each other. When there's judgment, which means that you're separating people out from you because you can't cope with the differences among you, you are not going to see revival. You are not going to see heaven on earth. You're not going to see a renewal in the church. You're not going to see the fullness of the presence of God dwell with us. We're not going to see an outpouring of the Holy Spirit because there's division, there's disunity, there's separation. There's judgment. What's the one thing Jesus prays for his disciples? I think it's in John 17, before he goes to the cross. One thing that Jesus prays. He prays for unity. He prays for oneness. 
the one thing that he prays before he goes to the cross. He says, may they be one so that the world will believe. When the world believes, that's going to be revival. That's going to be renewal. That's going to be an outpouring of the Holy Spirit. That's going to be heaven on earth. What is the seed that we need to sow in order to be able to see that oneness? What's stopping oneness? Fights, quarrels, slander, judgment. Now, here's the thing. I think the people that James were talking to had it a little bit easier. It's always dangerous saying that, but I think they had it a little bit easier than we do in our 21st century context. Because in that first century Jewish context, the idea of community was totally normal. In fact, they lived in community. So they believe that I am who we are, essentially, or I do in, in the benefit for we. Whereas in our own first, 21st century context, we live in relative isolation compared to that. It seems to be all about isolation. We are completely withdrawn from this idea of proper community. It's not you do we or I do we, it's you do you. And the problem with you do you is when it conflicts with somebody else me doing me doing me, there's going to be conflict and there's going to be quarrels and there's going to be fighting and there's going to be slander and there's going to be judgment. And even worse than that, because we're not in community, because we're not living in the same way that they were living there, we live in relative isolation. It's a lot easier to quarrel and to fight and to slander and to judge because we can all do it on social media and it seems like there's very little consequence to it. Or have you not ever been on Twitter? So you can just throw these things out there because there's not the same amount of rubbing up against each other, of being in each other's context of creating this beautiful sense of community as there was in first century Judaism. And so therefore it's a lot easier for us to engage in the problem that is stopping us from being family, stopping that oneness that Jesus is talking about. So if we want to see revival, we have to be different. And here's the problem. The church so often is very, it's not particularly different to any, to in the world, is it? When you think of divisions and you think of disunity and you think of quarrelling and you think of fighting, particularly when you think of judgment, all of that applies to the world, but it also applies to the church, doesn't it? It certainly applies to non-Christians' perception of the church. And we wonder and we guess and we start to think about strategies as to how we can get the world to believe. And all we really need to do is look at ourselves and see that we have a problem. First thing we have to do is we have to admit that we have a problem. Second thing we have to do is we have to identify the cause of the problem. So what's the cause of these quarrels and this fighting and this slander and the judgment? Well, verses one and two spell it out. It says this here. You desire, oh, sorry, don't they come from your desires that battle within you? Verse two, and then it says, you desire, but do not have, so you kill. You cover, but you cannot get what you want, so you quarrel and you fight. What is it? that's causing quarrels and disruption and disunity and fighting and judgment and slander, it's our own desires. It's not other people's desires, it's our own desires. In order to be able to work out the cause of the problem, we have to actually look at ourselves. You know, the Greek word for pleasure is hedone, which is where we get the word hedonism from, which essentially is I live to please myself. I live to please myself. What's James saying there? He's saying the cause of these quarrels and the fights in Christian community is that every single one of you are living to please, and I include myself in that, you're living to please yourself. It's become about us, what we can get out of a Christian community, 
what we need in church, how church can work for us. We've made it all about ourselves. We've turned, and what's the definition of sin? We've turned in on ourselves. And the result is quarreling, it's slander, it's division, it's disunity. Um, now here's the thing, and I, I don't want to, the thing about James is it's, it's easy to read and feel bad about ourselves, right? But this might help. This is innate. So this is in us, okay? We're born with this. So how many of you here are parents and you had to teach your kid to use the toilet? Had to teach your kid, brilliant. How many of you had to teach your kid to wash their hands? Lovely. How many of you had to teach your kid to write and to speak? Brilliant. How many of you had to teach your kid to be selfish? <laughs> we don't teach that because it's a part of the fallen condition. It's the part of human nature. Right now, in, this is why no one wants to volunteer for crash, because right now in there, one kid is stealing a toy from another kid, and the kid who had the toy stolen is whacking the other kid on the head with the toy, or crying and causing havoc. It's a natural part of what it is to be fallen and in humanity and be human. And it's killing community, and it's killing us inside. So what's the cause? The cause is hedonism. It's living to please ourselves. But we have to go a bit deeper. James goes a bit deeper on this. And I think in order to go deeper, it helps us to find a solution. So let me just, this is, I know it's uncomfortable. Let me just turn the screw a little bit more because there's a deeper cause beneath the cause, which is meaning that we live for ourselves. And that's found in verse six, slide three, if you please. It says this, God opposes the proud. Do you know what the cause beneath the cause is? It's pride. The main reason Christian community breaks down is because of pride. It's at the core of who we are and it needs dealing with. Now, so what, what is pride? Let's just identify what pride is for us here because I think one of them is obvious, a definition of pride, but the other is less obvious. So let's just deal with the obvious one. The obvious version of pride is arrogance, okay? I know better than you and so therefore when you express an opinion or you do something that I don't like, I'm going to oppose you, I'm going to slander you, I'm going to quarrel with you and I'm going to judge you and separate myself off from you. I'm better than you. I know more than you. I'm more educated than you. I have a better sense of reality. I know what needs to be done in order for something to happen so therefore I'm going to cause a quarrel and I'm going to separate myself off from you. That arrogance is the normal definition of pride. We talk about that all the time. Let me just talk about another type of pride. And this is less obvious. What about self-pity? What about a victim mindset? What about this idea that this Christian community or family, there's, what's in it for me? This doesn't seem to be meeting my needs right now. And so I'm going to separate myself off from it. I'm going to judge it, whether it happens in your head or with other people, it doesn't matter. I'm going to speak down on it and slander it and other people aren't meeting my own needs. You see, the common definition of pride being arrogance misses the fact that often pride can look like self-pity and victim mindset. Why? Because again, somebody who's walking around in that kind of victim mindset and making it all about themselves. Because the real definition of pride links to this hedonistic attitude, which is what's in it for me. I am living for my own pleasure and pride. Now that doesn't mean to say that some of us here have legitimate needs that need to be met in the community. I'm not saying that at all. It's a perpetual kind of, it's a, it's a constant cycle of that victim mindset. It's constantly going through life thinking that nobody is doing anything for you and you're constantly in this kind of cycle of self-pity. That we all have moments where we need Christian community to come around 
around us and that we're in a horrific situation and we have needs that need to be met by our community and by God. I'm talking about a cycle of this where it's happening again and again and again. That is also a form of pride in the same way that arrogance is and it's a killer of community. It's going to kill community. And when it kills community, it's going to kill revival because we're not going to see an outpouring of the Holy Spirit. So pride, it's arrogance, but it's also low self-esteem. So what's the solution? What is the solution to this pride, to this hedonism that's causing the quarrels and the division and everything that's wrong with the world, but also with the Christian community? Well, it's in verse six and seven here. And this is where there's a turning point and we get positive, thank the Lord. It says this, but he gives us more great. Actually, let's do verse five. It says, or do you think scripture says without reason that he jealously longs for the spirit that he has caused to dwell in us? Verse six, but he gives us more grace. Thank goodness for that. This is why scripture says God opposes the proud, but he shows favor to the humble. Verse seven, submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil and he'll flee from you. Come near to God and he will come near to you. What is the solution for this pride and for this chaos and division that's caused by our quarreling and the division and the hedonism being in it for our own pleasure and our own needs being met, James says it's humility. Humility is the solution. Now, there's a bit of a problem with our definitions of humility. What's the world's definition of humility? Well, often the world's definition of humility is to think less of yourself. So go around with your head down saying how terrible I am. I'm a terrible person and everything's terrible. And look at me, I've got nothing to bring and I'm awful. Do you know what? That is just another form of pride. We've already identified this because what are you doing there in that version of humility? You're making it all about yourself again. We're just making it about ourselves and we're expecting people to come and pity us and to help us. It's another form of pride. There's a Christian definition of humility and that is humility is about thinking about yourself less. So not thinking less of yourself, but thinking about yourself less. Lots of Christians talk about this kind of thing. And I think it's completely wrong. It's as wrong as the other type of humility. Why? Because I think it's impossible. Because we all have needs that need to be met. I don't know if you ever tried to think about yourself less. It's incredibly difficult to do. In fact, a little bit of a side comment. Do you know why Jesus, I think, says that the greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind and strength, to love your neighbour as you love yourself. He assumes that we know how to love ourselves. He assumes that we know how to meet our own needs. Now, obviously, there's times where people don't know how to do it and they don't know how to love themselves and so therefore we have to come around them and help them. But in general, if we were to really be honest with ourselves, we all know how to love ourselves. And so he's saying, take a bit of that, that self-gratification and the pride that you have within you and apply it to other people. We've made it all about ourselves. And here's the thing that humility says in Christianity, it's not about you. But the problem is that doesn't mean that we have to live a life where we're giving, giving, giving the whole time because it's impossible to do because we have needs that need to be met. And so therefore, I think a better Christian definition of humility is not thinking less of yourself. It's not thinking of yourself less, but it's thinking the thoughts that God thinks about you the ultimate meter of our needs is God. That's why James says the solution is humility here. And look at what humility looks like. It looks like God jealously longing for time with you. It looks like the indwelling of the Holy Spirit from within you. 
It looks like submitting yourself, handing everything over to God. It looks like coming near to him day in, day out. If we want to learn what humility is, we need to learn how to come into the presence of God. We need to learn how to spend time dwelling in the presence of the Holy Spirit. He longs for us. He longs for his spirit to dwell in us and for, for us to come near to him. So what happens when we come into the presence of God and how does it kind of grow humility in us? Well, the first thing that we realize when we come into the presence of God is we are way more self-obsessed than we thought we were. When you come into the presence of God, you realize quite quickly how much you think about yourself. When you come into the presence of God, you realize quite quickly that we are making everything about ourselves, that we have this problem of pride at the center of things. And when we come into his presence, it just gets revealed. It's just the way it is. It's like when light shines on darkness, all the stuff that was previously hidden by the darkness is suddenly revealed. Now, here's the beauty of what James is saying in this passage this morning. What happens when the light shines on the darkness and our pride is revealed? He does not judge us. What does it say? There is more grace. There is more grace. There is more grace. You see, the most beautiful thing about God because of Jesus and because of what he's done on the cross is he doesn't turn away from us in our crap. He moves towards us and he embraces us and he pours out his grace. That's why it says in there that when we come, it's like having our hands washed or purifying our hearts. That doesn't sound terrifying. It doesn't sound like it's judgment. It sounds positive. Surely it's a relief. Surely it's a relief to be able to come into the presence of God, to be brutally honest with what's going on in our heart. And for him, instead of for him to say, I'm judging you, you're horrific, you're self-centered, you're self-obsessed, you need to go from my presence, you need to sort yourself out. Instead, because of his grace poured out on the cross, he draws you near and he washes you pure and he sprinkles your heart afresh so that you can become who you're called to be. And he draws you in. First thing happens when we come into God's presence. We realize we're more self-obsessed than we like to think we are. Second thing that happens, and this is crucial, okay? When we come into the presence of God, we begin to realize how incredibly significant we are. You see, the root problem of the pride and of the arrogance and of the self-pity and of the chaos and the quarrels and the fights, the root problem is that we're all deeply insecure. That we're all, when we're in Christian community and family, banging up against each other because we're trying to get our needs met by each other. And do you know what happens when we come into the presence of God? He reminds us every time, you are my son, you are my daughter, I am pleased with you, I am proud of you, and I want to show my love for you and fill you afresh with my presence. You are way more significant than even in your wildest dreams. You see, who is our model for humility in the Bible? The answer is always Jesus. Jesus is our model for humility. What does um, Paul say about Jesus in Philippians 2 in terms of humility? In fact, let me read it. Have we got time? Ah, not really. Let me read it. I'll be quick. Philippians 2, it says this. Uh, in your relationships, when the, well, this is about community. 
In your relationships with one another, verse 5, Philippians 2, in Christian community and family. I just discovered that. Didn't read that bit before. Isn't that amazing? Have the same mind. See, I think I make this up sometimes, but it's actually in there. Have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. Six, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Can you see what's happening there? The model for humility in Christian community is Jesus. Jesus was in very nature God. He didn't feel like he had to grasp for attention or for significance because he knew he was already significant. When we come into the presence of God, what we realise is every single one of us here are made in his image and in his likeness. That means we carry the same power and the same presence that Jesus carries throughout the Gospels as we see him healing the sick, as we see him casting out demons, as we see him bringing heaven on earth. And so when we come into his presence, we realise we are nothing like Jesus, which is why we need his grace. But so much more than that, he pours out his Holy Spirit in us so that we can realise how significant we are in him. And that leads to peaceable community. That leads to the kind of of community James is talking about. Why? Because we're not trying to get our needs met by each other. True humility is not thinking less about yourself. It's not thinking about yourself less. That's impossible to do. It's thinking the thoughts that God thinks about you. Because when we do that, we're not looking for it in each other. So when we come into family, we come into community, we're looking to see how we can bless the other person. We're looking to see how we can help that person connect themselves with Jesus and experience his grace for them. So instead of judging, instead of speaking badly and slandering and separating ourselves off from the other people who quite clearly are exhibiting this pride and this arrogance and this pity and all the stuff that goes along with that, we say, let me help you experience the grace of God so that you can be filled with his presence and realise how significant you are. Because when you do that, you'll start to come together as one. We are God's likeness. We are God's image on earth. We carry his power and his presence. And as we come to him, we realize that we are also in very nature God. So therefore, we can humble ourselves and live out the calling on his life, on our lives, to see the kingdom come, to see revival.